remember when I had a voice but didn't use it They were singing to me but I ignored my muses I finally found silence and I started listening And out of body experience what I was witnessing Welcome to the Gunny's Guys Podcast Powered by More Benefit Resources The show that shares the stories of veteran entrepreneurs and resources That will help inspire and guide your own personal journey And transition from the military Everyone needs a gunny even on the other side of the DD214. I'm here to be that mentor behind the microphone. Enjoy the show. Well, without further ado, here we are. My name is Pat Moore. I am the host of the Gunny's Guys podcast. And uh, this is our first episode. So um, really excited to, to kick it off and also introduce our first guest, uh, Sonny Ty. Sonny's a guy that I uh, served with and have a long-standing history, but um, he has since gone on to do uh, a, a lot of really incredible and interesting things, and I thought it would be a great way to start this podcast off. This podcast was is a labor of love. It's also something that um, um, I've just really had a desire to, to pursue because a few years ago, the last thing I did in the Marine Corps was work for the Wounded Warrior Regiment. And uh, when I was in the Wounded Warrior Regiment, I found out just how uh, just how tough it is to transition almost all the time as a veteran, but then also, especially when you uh, leave the military because of a medical condition, uh, things of that nature. And I really, it's tough, but I also know that really the best way to transition is to find a mentor and a lot of guys just don't have one and I want this podcast to be a digital version of mentorship to show guys stories of people that have transitioned transition well and also show other guys people that are out there that maybe they could work with um, I think the power of veteran entrepreneurship can really help lots of different people and uh, uh, the benefits that we have, like the GI Bill, like you know some of the VA disability programs for guys that get out injured, give us the opportunity to help out an entrepreneur that could help change uh, the transitioning veteran world, but also help that entrepreneur to pursue their passion. So I think there's just a lot of reasons that this platform will be used. And I just look forward to how it grows can't believe this is the first one. Um, I've learned a thousand things already. And I'm sure I'm going to look back and hate every ounce and second of this intro video. But what can you do? Here we are. Uh, looking forward to you all learning about Sunny Ty. And welcome to the first episode of Gunny's Guys. So yeah, dude, the way, the way we're going to run it is there's, like, there's three main purposes, right? In the conversation. One get, get like information out about your company. Like I want people to know what the hell you're doing in the world. Um, two, it's to talk about the, the correlation of mental health entrepreneurship and then mental health guys struggling getting out of the Marine Corps. Like I, I've seen a huge correlation with that. Yeah. Um, and when I'm, when I'm talking to guys that are struggling and I'm, when I'm talking to guys that are just on top of the world, really, really busting ass, I feel like I'm talking to the same guy, but they're just, they're so close together, 
right? Yeah. Um, so yeah. we'll get into that a little bit and then just have a, have a good ass time, man. That's the whole point. Yeah, no, I'm already having a good time. <laughs> this is, this, this is good. Um, so yeah, a little bit about, about our company. We are a venture backed AI startup and, uh, Basically, the whole story is, I don't know if you guys know my background. I was born in Taiwan, but I grew up in South Africa. And South Africa is one of the highest rates of violent crime in the world. Hmm. Um, it's something that it's an environment I grew up in. Not like I would walk to school every day and kind of just head on a swivel and figure that something might happen. For, fortunately, nothing ever happened to our family. But we have family friends who were robbed at gunpoint, carjacked. And a close family friend was actually fatally shot in his own home, in home intrusion. So these incidents prompted my mother to take a leap of faith and immigrate us to the United States. So she took a job that paid $12 an hour on H-1B visa sponsorship. And, and we came to America. Uh, she got remarried and we were able to stay in the U.S. Um, I got my green card in 04. And that's when I enlisted in the Marine Corps and, oh, and joined shit. you guys. And uh, I became a U.S. citizen in 08. And funny thing is when I was at 224, there were some rumors, like people were like, yeah, Ty's trying to become an officer. And I was just like, no, 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 why would I become an officer? And part of it was because like, I wasn't a US citizen. So I wasn't qualified. I was looking into it and somehow somebody caught wind, but um, I couldn't apply until I, I became a US citizen. So yeah, in 08, I became a US citizen and, and applied to OCS, went, came back and they told me, yeah, you can't commission. Why can't I commission? Well, because you have three citizenships, you're only allowed to have one because that makes sense. You don't want to have dual or triple allegiances. You want to be your officers, especially to be loyal to the United States. But the problem was that um, Taiwan doesn't let you give up your citizenship unless you've done conscription because China could always invade, right? And and I like spent very little time in Taiwan. I did it like first grade in Taiwan and that's it. So what happened was that we became friends with the Taiwanese consulate to the South African government back in the day. And now we have family friends who are super senior in Taiwanese government. So my mom pulled some strings and I got my citizenship renunciation paperwork come through. So I was able to commission. And yeah, I went on active duty uh, from 09 to 13. And another, another secret was, I mean, you guys knew me to be kind of fairly immature. I didn't grow up that much when I became a second lieutenant. I uh, got in a fight with my roommate three weeks before graduation while I was in the top 10% of my class. And I hit him and um, I got recycled at the basic school. So I was there for 14 months. And when I came out, I was so disgruntled. I was like, this is so dumb. And I and, um, also got a finance officer MOS, which, which, which is why I don't talk about my MOS. And it's like, who joins the Marine Corps to go be a finance officer, right? You would go work for JP Morgan and you go work for like, go, go to Wall Street. Um, so I, I went on active duty all disgruntled and I'm like, okay, well, the first opportunity to do something cooler, I'm going to do it. So I volunteered to go to Afghanistan with a B bill to be a psyops officer. So I was working with the Jordanian army, the British army. And basically I was in charge of the whole rehab program in Helmand Nimrod's province as a first Lieutenant where my previous predecessor was like a UK army major. So that was pretty cool. It's like some pretty cool opportunities. Got, got around and seen some like the other PBs outside of Camp Bash and Camp Leatherneck. And, um, and I got out and the dispersing officer knew I didn't want to be a finance officer. I knew I was getting out. He's like, hey, there's a company XO bill open. Would you take it? I'm like, hell yeah, I'll take that. So I was a company XO and I got out. 
went to business school at the University of Chicago um, and became a management consultant for a couple of years, then started this company. So why did I start this company? Because we build AI software that turns existing security cameras into smart cameras. They can automatically identify threats like gun threats, intruders, loiterers, um, large crowds forming. If somebody slip in, like, slips on your facility and falls, we can detect things like that as well. And the idea is to enable all the security cameras that you already have installed to automatically identify threats in a privacy conscious way. So we don't do facial recognition and we don't identify any individual features, just whether a human being, how human beings are interacting with each other in security camera frames and whether they're carrying a weapon or not. So this, this is to provide security teams with better situational awareness without having to have more and more manpower everywhere, right? So um, started a company in early 2018. My co-founder is a former Microsoft guy, spent five years in Microsoft leading teams of data scientists and AI engineers, building out Microsoft's first AI powered sales, sales product uh, using a combination of natural language processing and computer vision. So Microsoft knows which companies they should be selling um, cloud services to. And we just hit it off. Like we both shared a passion for protecting people for public safety. And he had all the skill sets that I didn't because I wanted to play more Diablo 2 than code when I was younger. Um, and we started working together. And by December of 2018, we closed a small like $285,000 investment round from a bunch of angels. Then by June of 2019, we closed a $2.2 million seed round, mostly from Silicon Valley investors. And fast forward till today, we're deployed on about 11,000 cameras across a thousand sites. And we're about to close out our $8 million series A. So we just signed that a term sheet with lead investor and we're closing out our follow capital. Now we're in the final stages of legal due diligence. So that's going to close over the next couple of weeks. So yeah, we're in a really, really cool position. Um, I think we're doing something that's pretty disruptive to the physical security and commercial real estate industry and happy to answer any questions. So that's my life story and, <laughs> and, and we were as a company. So not only do you speak like multiple actual languages, you speak multiple uh, conversational languages too. Like you went from straight Marine Corps into like you just jumped over and then I went to business school and then I started this company. Like that, that's a fascinating story. When you, Sonny, who paid for University of Chicago? Uh, Uncle Sam. How'd you do that? Yellow ribbon, 100%. No, well, so booth is very expensive. When I went, it was $58,000 per year. Right. And now it's like 70 something K. It's insane. But U Chicago, um, well, first I got a 40, I got 40% scholarship from the school. I think I got some cool diversity points for being like this Taiwanese South African US military veteran, right? I think they like that. Yeah, you're a unicorn. You just needed to be a female, a transgender. <laughs> I know, right? An yeah. LGBT, my underrepresented minority female. Right, <laughs> man. But no, in all, all, all seriousness, I, I do think that really helped me in terms of getting okay. financial aid. And uh, that covered any differentials, like 15K difference that the GI Bill and Yellow Ribbon didn't pay for. Um, they do, if there's other kind of service members watching this right now, they do offer to cover everything nowadays that the yellow ribbon doesn't cover. So any veteran that gets into booth, as long as you have yellow ribbon eligibility, you'll pay zero dollars. Right. So it's a new policy that exists now that didn't exist before. Okay. Now, <laughs> hey, that's, that's good to know. What kind of tech did you show them for your second round of financing, the $2.2 million in 2019? What'd you show them at that Look, point? Honestly, not much. Um, 
I mean, you'll see people raise five to million, five to ten million dollar seed rounds nowadays, and they, I mean, some of them are even pre-product, let alone pre-revenues. The the venture space is just very it's frothy now. There's a lot of there's a lot of capital chasing very few companies. Now, it wasn't as frothy back in like early 2019 when we're raising our seed round. Right. But the, the way we got there was, first of all, like when you start a, a, a tech company, make sure you have a, you have a co-founder that really complements your skill set. So you should have a, I recommend all teams to have a sales co-founder and a building, a builder co-founder, because you need to build product and you need to sell, right? Those are two things that companies do. Now, despite being Asian, I'm the sales co-founder. Despite being white, <laughs> he's the quantitative, like engineer type co-founder, right? So we really complement each other really, really well. Um, and, and we just got introduced to the right investor who believed in us, to be honest with you. So you really have to be a networking ninja. Um, the veteran network really helped. In this case, that, that wasn't as relevant. We got introduced by somebody else, but veterans will always take time of day to, almost always take time of day to, to help other veterans and use that to build out your network to get in front of the right investors. But the biggest key is like, you have to get in front of the right people and you have to show that your company can achieve venture scale. And what does venture scale mean? Like nobody's gonna give $2 million to, if you're starting a pizza, pizza restaurant, right? Because it's not gonna become a billion dollar company. It's gotta be something that if given the right execution of resources, you can be a billion dollar, $10 billion, $100 billion company, like your Uber, like your Lyft, you know, like um, Snowflake, for example, a, a, lot of these, a lot of these big tech companies out there. Then the third thing is like, you gotta show you can execute in some way. So Ben and I, I mean, he's a Microsoft guy. I was in the Marines. We both went to U Chicago for business school. We have like some credibility on our resumes. Um, then whatever shortfall we didn't have, we just showed by our communications comp competence, we show by like how, how tight our pitch deck was and, and, uh, and building out technology and getting some initial customers uh, onboarded so we can show that we have some ability to execute. Does that answer your question, Paul? Yeah, abs absolutely. No, in great detail. And, and again, like a lot of this is to help other veterans, just like you say, build out their network or at least build out their knowledge on how to traverse to where any one of the people that we've interviewed got to today, including yourself. And, and you have pioneered things rather rapidly, Sonny, so that I appreciate the detail with which you answered that question. Let me back up really quick. The move from Taiwan to Africa, what inspired that? Yeah, honestly, I could talk for like three hours about this. Um, my father passed away when I was three years old from asthma. Uh, like he had an asthma attack, ambulance got stuck in traffic and, and it didn't arrive on time. And um, I inherited asthma from my father. So I actually fraudulently enlisted, enlisted in the Marine Corps. And I'll tell you about that. But I went to ICU when I was five years old from an asthma attack. I don't remember any story except for one. My mom saw something in the news. She was telling me a bedtime story. And it was something like once upon a time, there was a bad guy, his name's Hussein. And he invaded a small country called Kuwait because he was greedy. And the good guys led by a person named Bush came then to save Kuwait. But I became obsessed with America after that story. It was like living in Taiwan. Um, so that kind of planted the seeds. And um, we eventually moved to South Africa because there's a lot of Taiwanese immigrants going to South Africa at the time. Um, it's easier to immigrate to than, than the United States. And it's, 
like it, it's got a complicated history, but the culture is very kind of, it's a Western country type of culture. Like English is the official language, sure. education system is British and whatnot. So yeah, we ended up living there for six years before, before coming to the US and my mom just wanted to kind of find a better life where it wouldn't trigger, trigger my asthma. So do you remember that voyage, Sonny? I don't remember the plane ride, but I remember like living in South Africa very vividly. I visited four times between 2013 and 2017 and just haven't gone recently because I've been so busy with the company, but um, I've still got friends that I'm very close with growing up there. I heard it's just gorgeous, man. Oh, please go. Yeah. yeah. No, my, my wife would just love to go. I, Sonny, you never made it over to MAG 48 at all, right? Like the, the comm squadron nearby. Is that, is that by Great Lakes? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, I've actually, it's, it's funny because I recently went back in the reserves by recently. I meant like early 2019. Right. Oh, I, really? need, I, I need, well, I need extra money. Because <laughs> like, look, starting a company is not easy. And um, Ben and I, it's my co-founder, Ben and I are still some of the lowest paid employees in the company. It's our company. Cause you got to lead by example, right? The founders, especially early stage, shouldn't pay themselves that much. So I'm making half as much now as it was out of business school. In the first 14 months, I didn't draw a paycheck. So I was like, yeah, I could use the extra captain pay every whatever, every month or whatnot. So I went to MAG48 basically to get them to do like to take, I don't know, it was like a promotion photo or something like that. So that's the only time I've been in that building anyway. <laughs> yeah, we got to get you set up. I just, I just wanted to, my wife, the woman that I married, Joanna, uh, it, I met her there. So she's a Marine. It, it, I just didn't know if you had wandered around there at all. Uh, if your paths, what's, what's her, what's her last name? It was it, her maiden name is Garcia, Joanna Garcia. Uh, you know what, Jason? Actually, I, I don't think, I don't think I met her, but I met someone else from 224 there. Okay. And I met, I think I name dropped you. And I yeah. said, yeah. Yeah. That, um, that, that could either work significantly in your favor or very opposed. To <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Sonny, from what I understand, your motivation for this technology or the inspiration from it so far is based on the violence that you experienced in Africa. Like, can you explain? Yeah, not personally, thankfully, but yeah, right. I, I know people who did. And also, like, not to get political, whether you're conservative or liberal, I mean, we have a lot of guns in this country. We have a lot of shootings. It's, that's just objective fact. And um, I figured that, like, I'm not going to solve the problem, right? <laughs> let's be let's be realistic. But maybe we can introduce technology that saves lives when things when bad things happen, because we're the most innovative country in the world, and we should be trying to innovate to solve problems that plague plague society. And I felt like this was one of many possible approaches to it. Talk to me about the conversation with Ben where you formalized the idea of this organization. This oh, it was my idea all around. Ben, I met him. So I started thinking about the idea in November of 2017. And I left consulting to start working on it because I'm impulsive and I'm all in when I have conviction about something. I reached out to Ben on LinkedIn and I saw that the guy just looks super smart. He, he's interning at a VC. I want to get some advice on how to raise money. And I just asked him out for coffee and basically like, yeah, love at first sight, like 30 minute conversation turned to three hours. It just blew my mind. It's like, this guy's so freaking smart, like 10 times smarter than me. And he was dropping hints. He's like, Hey, let me know if you want me to help out. So I wrote him an email afterwards. I was like, Hey, don't worry about helping out. Why don't you just join my team? And let's just work on this together as co-founders. And he graciously accepted. And 
You know, we've been we've been married for three years now. <laughs> yeah, now I'm gonna need a picture. He sounds beautiful. I, uh, <laughs> uh, Sonny, like the did you understand that the technology was possible before you talked to Ben, or did you just will that into existence? No, I wish I willed into existence. I did a lot of research beforehand, and what I found was computer vision, which is the use of AI to identify objects in existing images. Um, has made a ton of advances in, in recent years because computing power has become exponential. So you can process, so you can train a lot of data and run inference inferences after you train a model, like running the actual um, algorithmic calculations to determine like what objects are in images has become more and more efficient. And sometimes these models outperform human beings. So kind of light bulb went, went off in my head. It's like, nobody watches security camera feeds, right? It's super inefficient to do so. But what if AI can be the first layer that identifies whether there's a threat in security cameras, then notify human beings to, to go and verify. Um, and I just went to talk to a bunch of cops because I wanted to get their feedback. Patrol officer all the way up to deputy chief, asked them for their time to interview them and said, this is what I'm thinking. Would this help you? How would this change your ability to respond. It's got a lot of good feedback. So I knew I had to start building it and, and put together a technical team. So very cool. Well, like what was that? So what's the moment that you started doing the research? What caused that? Like I'm going to start looking into this. Yeah. Uh, Las Vegas shooting in October 2017. No kidding. Okay. Dude, I mean, like one person killed 58 people and shot 800 more, right? insane absolutely insane um of course like in our technology would not have helped in this situation because no hotel is going to put cameras in their bedrooms right um but that's when it got me thinking like this is a problem that needs to be tackled in some way because twelve thousand americans die per year of gun homicides um and and there must be a way to to ad ad address it somehow so that's okay. when i started doing research I mean, it's, it's reminiscent of like minority report, pre-crime, right? Like you, yeah. So you are, you are we get that a lot. That. Yeah. We get that a lot. We don't anticipate anything. It's like, because we identify when you pull a weapon out, right? So if you have a gun in hand, you're either going to defend yourself or you're about to commit a crime or you're in a range. If you're up, if you're on range, like you shouldn't be getting computer vision, gun detection alerts. So one of the three, and if you're either defending yourself or you're about to commit a crime, then authority should probably know about the situation. Of course. So that, that's, how, that, that's how we framed it and seemed like that's landed pretty well. And we also don't do any facial recognition or identify individualistic human features. Yeah, so you had mentioned that. Otherwise I would have called you big brother a long time ago. I know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we want to be very privacy conscious, especially like, I think in America, especially being privacy conscious is not just a, a good ethical decision, it's a good business decision. Because I mean, we are, <laughs> Americans love their civil civil liberties and in individual freedoms, right? Uh, more so than probably any other country on earth or any other mainstream country on earth. Whether uh, we freely give them a way to TikTok or not, Sonny. That's I know, right? I don't have TikTok. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. But, but yeah, the, the fact is like- <clears throat> But I do the dances just so you know, because I have a 13 year old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're you never know but um but yeah there's got to be some sort of delicate balance between keeping people physically safe and also not eroding their civil liberties 
Because what's that Benjamin Franklin quote that says, like, he who gives up essential liberties for a little bit of safety um, deserves neither, right? But the kind of the, the keywords are the adjectives, like uh, essential liberty. Like, you don't want to trade essential liberty. But, um, you know, I'm kind of interpreting that as, like, if you can give a little bit of ground in non-essential liberties in exchange for more safety, then I don't know. I'm, you know, it's always a tug of war between between the two sides and just trying to find a happy medium that'll make people safer without infringing on their rights. No, I, I respect that you're taking that into consideration. What's what's the next step, Sonny? Like you talked about another round of financing. What map map me out the next five, 10 years? Yeah. So um gun detection is actually a very small part of our business now. We thought we we're gonna go out of business when a pandemic hit because nobody was going to their facilities. And when people don't go into facilities, nobody's gonna think about gun threats. So we built out a lot of new other capabilities, identifying intruders, vehicles in the wrong place at the wrong time, loiters, crowding, things like that. Just a holistic suite of security features that are meant to be a force multiplier for security guards instead of just identifying gun threats. So now most of our deployments actually just include like if it's 2 a.m. and somebody's trespassing your property, you'll know about it, but it's a lot more accurate than just motion detection because they get a lot of false positives. So most of our customers are remote video monitoring companies. They monitor video on your behalf. So for example, um, we've deployed at almost 900 schools across the nation, but it's mostly through remote video monitoring companies. So they monitor these schools after school hours. So if somebody's trespassing at like 7 p.m. We're not, not, there's not supposed to be anyone there. They can say, hey, you there, you're trespassing. Or if they feel like this person is doing something wrong, then they'll go and notify law enforcement, hmm. right? So, uh, so basically the roadmap ahead is we want to continue to drive security efficiencies, like help security stakeholders do more with less, help them not have to use so many people to protect life and property on their customers uh, or the client's premises. And in terms of the funding, I mean, it's all going towards engineering and sales, right? We got to hire more engineers. We got to hire more people to build relationships with customers that we want to partner with. And, and right now the sales team is like myself and two other people and our engineers, we have like, like five or six engineers. So it's a pretty small team right now. And, um, and with the resources we're going to bring in, we're going to double or triple our team. Okay. And what, what is that? What is it? What are you guys at now in terms of employees? We're at 10, 10 people. Ten. And, cu yeah. and customer base, Sonny? What do you have? We have, 16, we have 16 total customers, but these 16 customers that deploy us at about a thousand customer sites because they have customers that deploy our technology. And the next and the next round of financing, what are you, what are you looking to to the one after the one we're about to close now or the after, one we're about to close? The one you're about to close. Yeah. So venture fundraising is usually like uh it's it goes pre-seed or angel, then seed, series A. B, C, D, I mean, could go up to E, F, and G even, but a lot of times companies IPO before they go, they go there. But uh, pre-seed is like, I just have an idea, maybe a prototype. Let me ask people in my network to write me $10,000 checks. Then seed is like, uh, I might have a couple of customers, but we haven't fully validated product market fit yet. And some institutions will write you checks in hopes that you'll become a billion dollar company. And seed rounds usually range from like one to $6 million, I'd say. Then now we're at series A. And series A is when, okay, you really validate product market fit. 
You have a million, a million dollars or more in annual revenues. And we want to give you money so you can go and grow. So that's where we're at today. The next round is B, um, if we do have a next round. And that's when there's kind of pouring more fuel on fire. You've validated product market, not just product market fit, but also the size of size of your potential market as well. Like, um, you know, right now we're at three and a half million dollars in annual revenues, uh, one and a half commercial, two million in defense. And usually at series B, you're at like 10 million. And you could be worth like a hundred, $150 million company at that time, at that point. And your and your net, like besides just growth and revenue and increasing your product mix, it sounds like uh, COVID was actually a bit of an inspiration for you to diversify, which could be. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, forced, it forced us to pivot. It forced us to pivot. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you have a, a much more elaborate process or a product product than you otherwise would have, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. So we've really expanded into other capabilities and built out something that's much more, has a much more broader range of use cases beyond just identifying gun threats. And what we found was that gun detection, I think is too niche. Like, yeah. Um, 12,000 Americans get shot from gun homicides per year, but if you talk to any given customer, chances are they'll never have a gun issue in the next 20 years. Like, you know, just that's how the numbers will shake out. It happens to somebody every year, but for any given customer, chances are it'll never happen to them. So we found that, um, that, that just building on this type of capability alone wasn't a strong enough value proposition for a lot of customers. And we need to shift towards something that could concretely, not just strengthen their security posture, but enable them to do things more efficiently so that they, they can reduce their security spend. Got it. Yeah, I, this goes to automation, right? I mean, you, it's AI, of course, from a software element, but it, it goes to like the lack of uh, or the shortage of, of workers, period, the labor force uh, being constricted due to like the government paying for a certain level of, of otherwise hourly workers, right? They they are apparent they are the largest employer right now due to uh, I, I imagine that, that I think they've always been right the federal government has always been a largest employer I mean the U S military alone has like one point four million active duty <laughs> they just uh, yeah to your point they hired a whole lot more during COVID right and that, that seems to present a lot of opportunity for you um well to 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 your point we're about to sign up this Canadian customer. Uh, they asked us to keep their name uh, on the wraps, but uh, it's a monitoring company. They said they had a hard time hiring because, uh, again, not not to not to get into politics, but like this is what he said verbatim: is that the Trudeau government has been too generous with their COVID aid, so that they can't hire people, they can't get enough people into the operation centers. But yeah, I mean that's helped us because we help them be able to do more with less, right? You don't need as many people to monitor more cameras, and we never like. We never advocate for customers to fire employees. Like we really don't want to cause job loss. But what we can do though is enable you to grow without adding more employees. Right. Because this, like, this sector has grown super, super fast at 40% CAGR, especially as technology matures. And if you can grow without adding more headcount, then your company becomes more profitable. And maybe you can pay your employees more even. So, so that, that's our Are you selling through security companies, Sonny? Is yeah, we do a lot. Uh, we, we sell a lot through remote monitoring companies. So security remote monitoring, like companies that monitor alarms on behalf of other customers. Got it. Okay. So are you going to be the CEO when you're IPO? 
Is that manage this passion? No. Probably not. Um, I'm the CEO now, but my co-founder is my equal co-founder. <laughs> so we're equal partners. And quite frankly, like I know my strengths and limitations. Um, he's a lot more attention detailed and <clears throat> it's not a COVID cough, by the way. I just everything's a COVID cough, Sonny. Don't try to cover but, it. But but I, I just got my first dose of the vaccine from a VA, so it's it's sweet. Um it's looking forward a COVID to cough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm Asian. Is this where we answer an Asian joke or something? Yeah. <laughs> stop, stop Asian hate. Stop Asian hate. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I mean, I don't think I'll be the right person to lead this company as, like, I'm a hustler, right? Um, and I don't mean that in kind of like a, a street hustler type of way, but w- what I'm really good at is when a company is smaller, getting yeah. the right stakeholders bought in and earning the trust and confidence of, of key customers. and and when we become a bigger company, hundred employees, 500 employees, like you probably want somebody who, who's more operationally oriented, who is good at running a tight ship at a large organization to come in and do things. And I'm going to sail off into the sunset and go do philanthropy or something. So that's, that's yeah. my dream. They dream me now. I'm, I'm broke as a joke right now. So, <laughs> uh, or set up the next hustle. Which I, yeah, I, possibly. I completely understand. You don't want to be the dude behind the marble desk. I, uh, no, I, I don't. I don't. I have no desire to. Um, and, and quite frankly, like, I've always had a dream when I was little that I've been very idealistic throughout my life. And I want to positively impact people's lives. So one day, if I have the good fortune to be uh, a deca, whatever, millionaire or whatever, um, and have more money than I can ever, ever hope to spend, um, I want to deploy those resources into things like poverty alleviation and providing clean water to communities who, who don't have it and things like that. Just things that will be, you feel like you feel like you will leave a lasting legacy and your, your goal is not just to process oxygen and, and live life for yourself. That's a dream, but anyway, um, you know, kind of just sharing. Sonny, you're a, you're a driven, ambitious guy. That has never stopped. I, I mean, you left the throes of Lance Corporalism a long time ago, right? And you. I was, I was about to tell a story it. about that, by the yeah. way. Um, so how did I become a thirty-five, thirty-one motor vehicle operator? How did I even join the Marine Corps? Was I was a junior in high school, and this popular girl in class, in my physics class, I thought I liked her, and I thought she liked me, and she came to my locker one day and said, hey, Sonny, let's take the ASVAB together. We can skip class. I said, sure, Christine. So I went and took the ASVAB. I didn't even get to sit next to her. But dude, I'm Asian, man. Like this shit's a joke. I got, you know, bullshitted my way through it. 96th percentile. <laughs> Only reason it wasn't 99th was because there was sections like, what's a color of brake fluid? Like I've seen underneath the hood of a car once in my life. And that's when my mom's car overheated in South Africa. And there's like steam everywhere. Only time I've seen under hood of a car. So I just put C on the entire section. C, 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 C. Still got 96 percentile. Of course, the dumbest branch calls me first, right? Marine Corps. Staff Sergeant France, Scout Sniper, like supposed to be a badass. And um, did a whole freaking thing, man. Honor, courage, commitment. Do you want to be a badass? You're a stud already. We'll make you more of a stud. Once you put on dress blues, chicks won't be able to resist you. All of that nonsense that a 17 year old wants to hear. I said, of course, I'm like, okay, well, um, you know, where can I sign? And also this is like around a t- time, maybe a year after Black Hawk Down came out. 
Mm. And I was like, yeah, I want to be a ranger. <clears throat> I'll be an army ranger. Uh, but then I was like, yeah, I'm Asian. I have to go to school. So there's no reserve rangers. So I went in like, you know, was talking to Marines and it was like, yeah, this seems pretty badass too. So it came down to MOS choices. I said, Staff Sergeant, what MOSs can I be? He says, well, I got three for you. I'll wear a three. He said, you can be an MBC defense specialist, a motor vehicle operator, motor vehicle mechanic. I'm like, that's it? He's like, well, yeah, because you can't do any of the intels because you're not US citizen. Mm. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, uh, I know what MBC defense is. I don't want to play with poisonous gases. So um, I also don't want to be a mechanic. Hey, Staff Sergeant, you can't drive tanks as motor team. He's like, no, you can't drive tanks. He's like, and then I said, what about like the Rangers and Black Hawk Down driving Humvees? He says, yeah, just like the Rangers and Black Hawk Down. So that's what he said. And I freaking signed up thinking I was going to be Billy Badass. And yeah, I went to freaking Motor T school and graduated number one in my class, got mayor towards the promoter Lance Corporal, then spent five years at 224 PM in vehicles. Um, yeah. Do you remember all the static line jumps though we did at Foster and Kedzie out of those Blackhawks? Out of seven tons? <laughs> oh man, man. Well, you know what? Like my my best friend, like I said, he's a he's a SF officer, and you know the stories he tells me. I have the self awareness now to know I'm not cut out for that. But back in the day, I was like, yeah, be a be Army Ranger one day. But it is what it is. I became a motor team Marine then became a freaking finance officer so it is what it is no, no it totally is. you can't make that up and it makes the story way better it's so hard to convince people though that you're a marine that essentially sells girl scout cookies every weekend right it's, it's oh yeah toys for tops, man like yeah do you, do you go shave your head do you guys do you guys run 10 miles it's like i'd be surprised if half the guys there would fall out in a mile run actually <laughs> That's, I think that's also why Sergeant Major Carter liked me because, I mean, I don't think I was a PT stud, but for 224 standards, I was definitely top 10%. For sure. Yeah, every time there's a PFT, man, geez, you have, you have jabronis who are like running 30-minute three miles. It's like, dude, how do you look yourself in a freaking mirror, man? <laughs> dude, it's, it's terrible. No, for, for sure. That doesn't apply to 39-year-old <laughs> warrant officers, right? Because that's a pretty oh, no, good okay. I think there was an excuse. And actually, Mike, Mike was telling me this because, uh, like I said, I visited him twice at Fort Bragg. And you'll see freaking dudes who are just like all decrepit and fat and just like ranger, ranger, special forces. Um, but they're usually like the senior enlisted who are just so broken <laughs> from all this stuff they did that now they just can't do anything. They can't work out. Or anything. Pretty sad, man. Yeah. These are types of people that get 100% disability. Right. Their bodies are so busted from all the stuff they did, and now they just look fat and old. Plus, any everyone in the army's a ranger, all of them. You know, actually, the, the other thing I was going to say is that, um, yeah, you know, after knowing a lot of people who who became O three O twos, like infantry officers and whatnot, um, if you ever see an athletic jack dude in a Marine Corps, it's a fucking pogue. Guaranteed. Right, right. Because because that's only like only pogues have the leisure to get the proper nutrition to get jacked. Like if you're out in a field humping 120 pound pack all day, you're gonna be a twig. They're all twigs. Funny, unless you missed the 08 deployment. I did, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's all that was. 
months. It was a weightlifting competition. It was a seven month weightlifting competition. I had. Well, I know. I know. Do you know how I know? Because Esparza, remember that guy? Oh yeah. That guy was. He was muscular to begin with. He came back and he looked like a freaking professional wrestler. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you had to turn sideways to fit a door frame. No, you're absolutely right. And if you see an anemic looking dude that looks completely broken with his eyes sunken in sockets, he's forced recon. So I, yeah, it's so funny because when I was exactly applying to business school, and I didn't, I didn't used to notice like when I was when I was applying to business school, uh, I was applying when I was in Afghanistan. I used to like take two a.m. calls from from Leatherneck and talking to to people from like Duke and University of Virginia and whatnot, and just drop the oh yeah, I'm calling from Afghanistan. It's cool. But anyway, I was visiting Duke. That is cool. Like, yeah. That's a great pitch. That's oh, yeah, yeah. Pitch. I got into every single school except for Harvard. I didn't get into Harvard. Um, but but this guy, he was like, uh, this this lady who was a West Point grad at Duke said, oh, yeah, I'm going to connect you with John Feeney. He'll show you around campus. He's a former Ranger. And I, I fully expected that, like, Pat Tillman was going to show up, right, <laughs> and show me around campus. And this little freaking shrimp was, like, 120 pounds soaking wet. He's, like, 5'6". And dude was a freaking ranger officer and he would walk around like this, like, like he's got big dick or something like that. <laughs> and I was walking behind him and he rips the loudest ass. He's like just freaking massive rip ass. I was like, damn dude. And he was like, Oh my bad, man. So he's got totally got like the whole whatever infantry attitude, but he's just tiny, tiny and wiry because I think a lot of the infantry people end up being like that. Oh, Ivy league baby all the way. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's, that's a great story. Dude, like walk me through. So you become an officer, do the MBA. Like what is, what is it in you that gives you that type of drive? What in you has pushed you to that limit? Is that, is that your mom? Is that your mom's strength that brought you from Taiwan to South Africa? Like, what is it? Yeah, what is that internal combustion that made you do all this? That's, I think that's part of it. I mean, my mom's had a tough life being a single yeah. mom, um, you know, raising two kids, three continents. Um, and my dream is to like ensure she never has to work again. And hopefully I'm coming closer and closer to that dream. And now she's in her early 60s. She deserves it. One thing I always brag about, because I was a management consultant for a number of years, and also learned how to play the credit card game. So she has never, since 2016, has never flown to Taiwan in economy class. Always had her sitting up front, live flat seats. Didn't pay with money, like it's all points, right? It's just things like that I want to do for my mom. But in terms of what motivates me to, to continue growing in my career in life, I think it's just... It's not purely money, even though that's part of it, but it's desire for impact and personal growth, right? You don't, I mean, I interviewed this guy. I'm actually, I'm really trying to hire this guy who's a West Point grad, uh, another former Ranger officer and trying to hire into him into a sales role. And I was trying to ask him about like what drives him and what motivates him. He says that I don't stagnate well. And I think that applies to me as well. I don't feel like I could be in one place just working the same job for 10 years um, and doing the same thing and not growing. I, I feel like I want to look back in my life and saying, okay, I grew professionally. I became better as a person. I was challenged. And in some ways, maybe I didn't overcome the challenge, but in other ways that I did. 
and you're always progressing forward so that you can look back in life and say that, you know, you, you lived a fulfilling one. But that's just me. Like, you know, don't expect everyone to be like that. But, um, uh, and for, for, for me, it was. I think the other thing was that um, I've always felt like I needed to earn respect. Just growing up, I was bullied in high school. Um, we had this kid, Mike, who used to tell me to go home immigrant. Um, and which is, I was especially self-conscious about, especially because I didn't have a green card. He used to ask, hey, do you even have your fucking green card? And of course I didn't, but I lied about it. I was like, yeah, I have my green card, right? Just, so always felt like I wanted to prove that I belonged in this country. And part of, that's part of the reason why I ended up joining the Marine Corps. And even in the Marine Corps, you know, you guys know, I was like kind of weird and quirky and, you know, like, uh, who's that guy, Major L Lieutenant Colonel, um, h and Company Commander, what's his name, Porter. Yeah. He, he used Porter. to- Oh man, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He used to summon me into his office. After he learned that I wanted to go to OCS, he used to bring me into his office just to chat. And he's like, he's like, Ty, you're too smart for Motor T, aren't you? And that's not derogatory towards Motor T Marines. It just it kind is. of made no, it is. a comment towards my ADHD that like I got bored with PM and vehicles. And because of that, I wasn't very good at it. Um, so I was, I was always trying to get a little bit, like achieve a little bit more so that people, so A, that I can grow professionally and personally, but also B, I can earn people's respect that I didn't have before. So maybe it's a combination of the two. I'm trying to answer that question. Sorry, like it's not super structured answer, but. Um, Those are the best answers. Um, but to be frank, you are making fun of Motor T. Can we just put that on record, please? I, I'm, I'm making what? You are making fun of Motor T. Can we put that on record? Oh, no. I, I, I you know, if I were to come across those guys again, um, Kizada, Glaze, all those guys, I would apologize too. I'm like, yeah, I was a shithead. I was a shithead as a Lance Corporal. I was kind of a shithead as a Corporal as well. So uh, I appreciate them for, for graciously putting up with me back in the day. So that that is like the perfect segue. So as you know, really the whole foundation of, of why we're doing the podcast is the linkage between just the whole conversation around mental health, right? And I've, I've a couple of years ago, I, I got a billet of working with the Wounded Warrior Regiment, headquarters Marine Corps. And it put me in a position where I was talking to a lot of guys that got medical discharges. Um, sometimes that meant they were... Um, mentally, mental health uh, discharges, sometimes they were physical. But as I, as I talked to these guys, um, so many of them had this gene of just really speaking honest truth. Like it was depressive, honest truth. Um, but it was just the other side of what I was used to, which I was in the, consult, the, the consultant world, high achieving business guys, um, and I found the best sales guys were the ones that could be the most honest with themselves. Yeah. And I found that like, that was a huge linkage between the two. And I feel like most of the rest of the population kind of always lives in the gray and they're kind of dead inside. And your response to that was just so honest and so yeah. empathetic. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on what I just talked about. Yeah, I mean, mental health is a is an issue that 
that really our society is wrestling with, right? Um, I, I wish I had more profound insights than that. Uh, I'm very lucky to where I don't think I suffer from depression, anxiety, or anything like that. Also never saw combat when I went to Afghanistan. So I also don't have PTSD issues. Um, but I, I have friends that do like, uh, one of my good friends, Mike Lloyd, he was a combat engineer officer and he would come back from patrols and be like, dude, I thought I wasn't going to see my family today. And I think those are things that, that haunt you throughout your life and people handle them in, in a different way. I, 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 I don't know, like, I'm not qualified to give them advice, but I do think that what Marines can do for each other and all service members can do for each other is just, I think, be open with your emotions. I think the Marine Corps sometimes teaches you implicitly, if not explicitly, to keep your emotions to yourself. Um, and I think it's okay to say, hey, dude, I'm hurting. Can I talk? Hey, bro, I care about you, man. I love you, dude. Um, and, and I think those kind of being, being genuine and honest with your emotions is an outlet so that you're not keeping everything inside that would compel you to feel like the world is about to end or your world is about to end, right? Look, I, yeah, like I said, I'm not qualified to talk about this topic, but, um, or at least give advice on this topic, but that's, that's how I feel. I feel like people, vets try to hold it inside too much. They wanna show everyone that they're tough. They wanna show everyone that they got things under control. But after all, like no matter how tough you are, like we're human beings and human beings thrive when, um, you know, we care for each other and, and um, to be able to do so, you have to be open with your emotions, I think. So, and because um, Sonny, I, I agree with what you're saying. If I, if I could just parlay, uh, there is a certain strength and courage that it takes to be open with your emotions, like you talk about. It's not just okay, it's necessary. So yeah. I, what you're talking about now is, is really the fundamentals of what guides us all to be healthier. Let it go, exfoliate it, let it out, have the courage yeah. to do so. It's, it's strength to do so. I, uh, Sonny, what about a low point, man? I, uh, you've been up and up and up on a trajectory. There's, there's got to be a day, week, month, year uh, where there's heavy doubt. Yeah. But my, my low points, my low points are not that low. Like, I'm super blessed, honestly. Um, I've got a decent head on my shoulders. I've had, I have the privilege to live in this amazing country. Look, we have our issues. Like I'm not trying to whitewash the issues that we have in society with violent crimes. We have riots, uh, we have racial tension, all these things, but there's still no other country I'd rather live in. Like America with all of its flaws is just a wonderful place to live. And to have a chance to live here is kind of winning the, the, the lottery in a way. Um, so I'm just eternally grateful. I've had low points um, uh, in, in truth. The truth is I got laid off by Accenture in 2016. I laid off because I wasn't getting staffed enough. And part of it was like, they laid off a bunch of people, but part of it was because um, they weren't selling enough work. But you know, the other part of it was like, I got to take responsibility. I didn't do that well in networking and putting myself in a position where I would get staffed. So that kind of sucked. I mean, I had to look for a job for a few months, end up landing with 
CBRE in a contract consultant role that actually paid me more than Accenture did. And I'm developing a great relationship with this SVP of strategy, who's been a great mentor and friend to this date. Um, over the pandemic, I got broken up with a two year long relationship. Um, and again, going back to mental health, I was told that I was told by my ex-girlfriend that I didn't understand her depression, anxiety. Um, maybe because I'm always cracking jokes and happy go lucky, but also that was kind of a, a tough few months after the breakup for me. You know, it's like I figured I was going to end up marrying this girl and now she's engaged to somebody else and I'm happy for her. It's great. Um, but yeah. And during a pandemic as well, like, right. I thought right. we're not going to have a business. I like, I poured almost two years of my life into this company. I have no savings. Like everybody, all y'all stock portfolios and 401ks have just been up and up over the past four years. Um, I didn't have any of that because I had to liquidate most of what I own to, to live, um, to pay engineers early on when we didn't raise any money. So, so um, you know, to feel like I might have to start from square one again was also kind of stressful and challenging. But these are also kind of minor challenges compared to what a lot of other people are going through. And I think I just approach life with a sense of gratitude for what I already have. And I think that if you do that, then, you know, like there's a lot, there's a lot of things that won't emotionally affect you as, as much as they otherwise would. Cause you, you look on a bright side of things. You look on, you look at all the things that you've already been endowed with and blessed with instead of things that you don't have or things that you've lost. So that's my philosophy on to answer the question or not, but. No, it, no, it really, it really gets a super close, Sonny. And I, I, I'm really appreciative of it. The moments that you shared are those moments of vulnerability that we either, we have that path, right? You can take two directions. You can collapse under the pressure of the, the, the breakup, the, the stress that's coming at you from work, the, the career path that you picked that wasn't a good fit for you or you weren't bringing in. You can either let, you can either let your character collapse underneath that or embrace something else. And if I could just clarify, it sounds like you've embraced everything around you that's positive in spite of that one element to, in order to draw you up and bring you out of that moment. Yeah. So I say yes, but I'm also lucky that it comes natural to me. Mm. I've always been an optimist. I've always been an optimist. Um, I always think that things are going to work out sometimes to my detriment. Like I've made some really stupid financial decisions. Cause I'm like, yeah, YOLO, it's going to work out. Yeah. Did you um, buy a Peloton too? <laughs> no, I didn't. If I can afford one, I would get one. I, I, I would. <laughs> nice. Um, because I hate cardio. So if you can make cardio fun, right. I would do it, right? That's, that's your next artificial intelligence, by the way. Well, well, look, we're about to close our Series A. My co-founder and I are going to give ourselves a, a good pay bump. And, and maybe I'll buy a Peloton. Put in my... <laughs> we got three. Funny little studio in New York Whatever City. Little boy wants for Christmas. Oh, man. No, that's fantastic, Sonny. But, like, yeah. Your honesty with yourself has driven you to the heights that you've achieved. And I think that's, that's what Pat was talking I, about. I don't know how, how, how high these heights are. I mean, I'm a 35-year-old with no savings, right? Uh, like, it's um, nerve-wracking sometimes. 
but um, no, like, like, I mean, like, I own 25% of a company that technically has a $35 million valuation. So it's, it's like, that's pretty cool. It's not yeah. super liquid right now, but it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Sonny, um, your, your humility has always been very endearing. Uh, and you joke on yourself for being a Lance Corporal. That was oh, crazy. absolutely. You, you got, okay. Maybe that's the other part. You got to be able to laugh at yourself. Right. Like, I don't know, man. I, I crack Asian jokes all the time. <laughs> like, you know, I, I got a favorite Marine Corps going to battle with them in anything to do, in anything to do with business. I genuinely believe that I have a better team than anyone else. And my co-founder is one of the smartest people I've met in my entire life. No doubt. And one day, and one day he'll be CEO and not me. Um, maybe sooner rather than later. Very, very bright, very operational oriented, attention to detail. But um, got a great team. And and if you're a type of person that thinks you know everything, you want to micromanage everything, like good people don't want to come work with you. And I'm very lucky that amazing people have come and chosen to join join me on this journey. I know, I know Pat's got a couple of closing questions. Uh, we're always looking for the next step ourselves as we bring veterans out into the marketplace and, and talk to them and so on. But I, I would just say in respect of everyone's time, I, I really appreciate you meeting. It was great to see you, man. It oh, it's so much fun. Really yeah. cool to connect. It was um, to, uh, kind of some closing questions that we ask everybody, dude. Um, the first question is if, you know, in general, the people that are going to be watching this, this show, watching this podcast, they're going to be veteran business owners. They're going to be just veterans in general, transitioning out of the Marine Corps. And then three, it's a, again, a, a sub, 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 sub market of the, the veteran population, but those guys that are not in a good spot that are in that, you know, disgruntled, angry at the world spot. Um, what, what's a piece of advice you got them for them transitioning out of the Marine Corps, transitioning out of the yeah. forces in general? So I'm going to give this advice that makes it sound like I view every nail or like everything as a nail that, what's that thing when you say like every problem is a nail if you got a hammer? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I think that veterans should go to business school when they get out, if they don't have something locked down. And look, it's not going to be a fit for everyone. But um, schools love veterans. Now, America claims they love veterans, but I think that's just good marketing, to be honest with you. But schools genuinely love veterans. And diversity, when schools talk about diversity, it's not just racial and gender and sexual orientation diversity. It's also diversity of perspective and experiences and veterans fit very well into it. And if you're an enlisted veteran coming out of active duty in Marine Corps, like if you're halfway smart and have an okay GPA, like you can go to an Ivy League school because your veteran experience will set you, set you apart. Awesome. Now you can't, you can't, completely just like bomb the SATs and expect to go to Columbia. Right. Um, but you can get into a lot better school than you can get into. And it makes a difference. If you were an officer, then you should go to business school, get your MBA. And the reason is because what I mentioned before, society say, says they love veterans, but what they mean is that they'll put a freaking yellow ribbon magnet on their car and say, I support the troops, which doesn't mean jack shit. Like is somebody going to 
go out of your way to hire a veteran with no private sector experience and give them a chance, even though what they learned in the Marine Corps, Army, Air Force, Coast Guard, Navy doesn't necessarily directly translate one-to-one with what, what you can have them do. I'd say eight to nine out of 10 hire managers and employers will not. Which means that when you go to business school or you go get a degree at a top school somewhere, you kind of are building that network. You're building additional experiences. You're building exposure to companies who are trying to come and recruit you to get that first notch on your belt to set yourself apart from everybody else. If you're transitioning directly from the military into a private sector job, I've just seen it be hard. Obviously, you can go work for Orion or something like that, you know, or go, go work in an industry that just traditionally places a lot of veterans like physical security. But, you know, it's like and some companies have veteran integration programs like Goldman Sachs has one. It's more geared towards officers, but um, which makes it hard for if you're enlisted. But um, but yeah, like if you have post 9-11 GI Bill, it's just such a no brainer. Go you can, you can get into a really good school, a better school than you thought you can get into. And that's going to set yourself apart from your peers when you're finished, I, I think. Um, because the transition journey is just not easy, I think, for, for most veterans. Yeah, uh, my work email is the one I check like a million times a day. So Sonny, S-O-N-N-Y, at actuate, A-C-T-U-A-T-E, dot A-I. Cool. And we'll, we'll put that in the show notes too, um, just to make sure everyone's got it. So I guess really what I want to, I guess we'll end it here. What are you, what are you most passionate about right now, Sonny? What am I most passionate about? Um, we've got a little baby right now, not a human baby because nobody wants to procreate with me, but, um, <laughs> Ben, <laughs> me? What about ben, ben? Ben's got a wife. Ben's got a oh. wife. Yeah. <laughs> a real human wife. Um, but I, I, yeah, I got a company to grow and um, I think we can be a billion dollar company. I know it's in, insane to think about, you know, if you asked me three years ago, I would have laughed at you or laughed at myself, but I think we have a chance to build a billion dollar company. And for, for the first 10 employees that, that join us, I want to make sure that if we have an exit one day, they'll be set for life as well. And not just, not just me and Ben. So we need to build a big enough company for them to be able to have an amazing financial exit as well when that time comes down the road. So that's what I'm passionate about now. What I'm passionate about long-term is positive impact in lives. Like the world is a tough place. I think it's better now than it's ever been, but we still have a long way to go. There's a lot of human suffering around the world. And to the extent that I can be impactful in a small way, I think I, I want that to be my lasting legacy in the long run. Yeah, but it's just, it's hard to be impactful without, without influence and resources. So, you know, maybe building a company and hopefully having it be successful is a means to be able to do that. I dig it. I oh, dig yeah. it, man. I appreciate yeah. that. Thank you. Thank you for your time, brother. I remember when I had a voice, but didn't use it. They were singing to me, but I ignored my muses. I finally found silence and I started listening and out of body experience what I was witnessing.